And then I was like, I'm not destined to, you know, to just playing a supporting role in life. I can actually have a leading role. We always have people that had at some point an interest in crossing the divide for business and tech. Hello, and welcome to the Female Foundry 3.0 podcast. On this podcast, we share engaging and inspiring stories from female entrepreneurs, investors, and innovators that are shaping the Web 3.0 future. Tune in. Here is our host, investor, serial entrepreneur, and technology enthusiast, Agata Norik. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm speaking with Zuzanna Stamirovska and Claire Nue, the founders of Pathway, who recently raised a 4.5 million euros pre-seed round from Innovo and Market One, and were featured in the week number 49 of the Female Foundry newsletter. Hi Claire, hi Susanna. I'm so glad to have you two today. Hello, great to meet you. Let's start with the introductions. I'm Susanna, I'm the CEO of Pathway. And I'm, I'm Claire and I'm the COO and co-founder of Pathway. Uh, thank you very much for having us. No, thank you for coming. So I'm very excited to speak with you because both of you have very interesting backgrounds and I would like to know what led you to start Pathway and not pursue, let's say, an academic career. I started with humanities and, and then business, but Susanna was actually my professor in undergrad. She, she was my economics professor and that's how we initially met. We didn't talk for a few years and then... But I remembered her <laughs> very well. So when I needed somebody brilliant, you know, I just reached out to Claire and that's it. That's <laughs> history. You're just being modest, Claire. <laughs> so how about you, Susanna? Because it's not a usual path for academics to jump into entrepreneurship. So I also was trained in management consulting before. And actually, if you if you were to find like one path that I was taking, one pathway, right, through, <laughs> through my career, that would be game theory and then game theory applied to graphs and how game theory applied to graphs. Very good in transportation. And then I ended up doing a PhD on forecasting of maritime trade where I used machine learning. And yes, I, I worked in research, but let's say my career plan was always closer to taking what's being done in academia or like pushing, of course, the boundaries of tech, but making sure that it's used in the industry, that there are just these spillover effects of innovation that everybody can benefit from. Yes. Very interesting. But Pathway is a deep tech startup. So how did you make that move from economics into the deep tech space? Economics gets very mathy very quickly, especially if you want to do cool stuff that you know are true. Otherwise, you're more speculating. So what I what I did is that I was interested in game theory because it sounded cool. And I was at Stockholm School of Economics uh, back then. And I took a course in game theory. And all of a sudden, I felt like, oh, I feel like fish in water. It just felt so good. It was like the place, the thing I wanted to be doing. So yeah, that just became clear to me. And then I applied for a master's degree at the Ecole Polytechnique, which which was still in economics, but but much more quantitative. And yeah, I, I got it and I was I suffered a lot I was I was you know studying with guys who, who were the, the best at the Colby Technique actually have a ranking and we, we could uh, top of the cohort with us and I also did then internship research internship in the Polytechnics lab and I happened to win the best internship award that was made at that lab Amazing. <laughs> so, that year which was also surprising to everybody because you know I mean people from these labs just got the Nobel Prize you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was somebody coming from a kind of non so obvious background who just came to do an internship in economics and even you know having economics lifted to the position where they are actually getting <laughs> any sort of awards 
That was interesting. But it's not just that, right? I mean, there were there were people who influenced me, friends. So some are today in Pathway, actually. So there are people in algorithmics and they're like some of the brightest minds I've ever known. And this is how it happened. I had one aha moment when I was doing my internship. I was actually working on a theorem and I managed to prove it. And I was there in, a, in, in an office and I was looking at that theorem, you know, at the piece of paper in front of me. And I realized, wow, I did it. I was able to do it. And then I was like, I'm not destined to, you know, to just playing a supporting role in life. I can actually have a leading role. I could be a CEO. I could be, you know, whatever leading parts in whatever category, but it could be me. I'm not there just to help somebody else. Yes, definitely. It seems to me that for both of you, for you, Claire, and for Susanna, you've chosen the right path, or rather, I should say, Pathway. <laughs> so I really love what you do at Pathway, but we haven't yet explained to everyone listening what your solution is. Can you tell us what Pathway is? Sure. So Pathway is a programming framework for quickly building real-time reactive data products. Mm -hmm. So it's a way actually to get value from the data quickly and to actually make the change that we've been talking about. It enables real-time machine learning. So we're taking real real-time data streams and we're doing machine learning on them as the new data points arrive. And it allows us to design data applications where we have feedback in the like human in the loop scenarios. So you may have a person who may want to introduce some change to the system and the system has to take it into account and ensure that everything happens, everything propagates and there is consistency throughout the system. I know it sounds super tough but uh, or complicated, but you may know situations like in Ikea where you look at the website, you think something that you want to buy is there, is on the shelf. You take a car, you drive 30 kilometers to your shop and it wasn't there. Of course, there are many reasons, but actually consistency of systems is one of them. Making sure that the stock levels are known to everybody at any given point in time, it's actually a big challenge. This is just one of the, of the examples of how Pathway can you know, ease everybody's life. Very interesting. So, what are some other applications, or I would describe them low-hanging fruits for your technology today? So the vertical we, we started with was the one we knew best, uh, Susanna, myself, and other people in the team, which is logistics in general and supply chain and transportation that come together. And we're working today with freight forwarders, for instance, and they're collecting thousands, if not millions of data points on containers all over the globe. And it's very difficult for them to think of their problems processes in an aggregated way and really understand, okay, that's how it looks like. That's what my actual operations are when I'm at the headquarters in some office in Europe, and then I have some operations in, in remote areas of China. I have very little visibility over it. Actually, those companies, they now have the data. There have been big investments in IoT over the past few years, and now we're seeing a lot of data in this space. And the idea and the starting point was, there's this data, we have a technology solution to it, and let's turn it into a product that helps those companies actually finds its sites, find value, and then we see use cases that will vary uh, a bit from one client to the other, at least. What we see is that for our clients, we have an app on top of the core product, which we call Pathway Logistics App. Mm -hmm. And on this, our clients are able to build 
easily in a few clicks dashboard. But what we mean by, by a dashboard is really just a use case. So we'll have some clients that will take 30 minutes and they'll be able to query very easily the data to get analytics on risks or other variables that they care about based on their own business. And that's something we're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Susanna? Uh, so that was that was exactly the origin, and um, we have we have very good know-how of that vertical. So we actually built within our framework, we built a data product that's destined for logistics, and that's actually running nicely. Hence the revenue you were asking about <laughs> uh, before. Then actually there are other cases that are natural for for this technology, and we see some proof of that. And this is anomaly detection, and specifically fraud detection. And when we're talking about real-time data, and you want to have you know low latency this other thing an obvious use case would be card credit card transactions and then recommender systems and then any system where you have machine learning that you want to know when to forget stuff or revise your decision these are things that are coming right up or be announcing them one by one then of course i mean the, the framework is open the source available i mean the, the users can the developers can play with it but we're super curious to see what what sort of use cases there yeah it's very exciting i can see how in card payments, there are definitely few issues to solve. So just staying on this topic, from your perspective, what are currently some of the barriers of adoption for AI technology today? Yeah, so from what we've seen, it's usually the industrialization of AI. Data science, let's yeah. put it like, very honestly. Yeah. It's even industrialization of data science, like how to take it out of Jupyter notebooks, how to make it run, how to make it scalable. So this is why many projects end up in a limbo. They, they never never go to production. And there's, then there is this issue of making sure that, you know, we have consistency throughout the pipelines, pipelines of data treatment. And the second, I think, big issue is really the ability to onboard users. So I mean, having a recommendation, well, great, but why I can't insert inputs in there since I know. I mean, it's, it's even more true when you're dealing with the real world economy and there are like, you know, physical operations happening in a field, you can measure everything. So you may want to have this user feedback. So people don't always want to adopt it. So it's like one part will be feedback, like user in the loop scenarios, which are hard we have right now in AI models. And, and second three, just you know, the hesitance and, and the change that will happen for the users themselves. Mm-hmm. And then it's also you know the design of good user experience, user journey of how this can exactly be used and integrate within their workflows. Maybe they don't need to know to have so much information once they just want to see a simple alert and then they will, you know, do something about it. They, but then maybe some other user needs to see more because he's higher up in the hierarchy. So he actually analyzes why an anomaly happened. Uh, so it's actually a lot of business or even product thinking that has to be done by the organizations that are incorporating within their processes. Because otherwise it stays kind of just outside of of the work and this doesn't make a difference. Yes, I can see that. So I would like to move to your fundraising because you recently raised a 4.5 million euros pre-seed round from Novo and uh, Market One. And that was your first round, obviously apart from grants and your personal capital. Could you tell us how you approached that fundraising process? Yeah, yeah. So so, so as mentioned, we initially started with, with money we put in in the company and, and various grants and government programs here, grants supporting deep tech startups. That's how we, we were doing it at the beginning. And then we eventually decided that we were at a stage where we needed to raise to get to where we wanted to go. And so so the process really was rather standard in a way of starting to, to 
to talk to VCs and then pitching to them, assessing what was working in the pitch and maybe what was to deserve a bit more prep on our side. And so we talked to a number of investors. Initially, we weren't targeting so them so much in a sense that we basically, it's good to talk to a lot of people, especially at the beginning when you do it for the first time to to understand how it works and also let's say to do some practice maybe on investors that would potentially be less strategic to the company and then we were moving forwards with a with a number of investors and eventually we talked with uh, Mathieu from from Innovo and then later down the road with uh, Michal from Market One Capital, Roger Crook from, from DHL, who was the CEO of DHL and Global Freight Forwarding, who had this expertise in logistics and those connections that would help us go faster, as well as Josh Kaiser from OpenAI, so at the center of the whole chat. GPT trend at the moment trend we'll see we'll see how it looks like in 2023 hopefully another trend <laughs> um and, and who has this expertise who was the co-inventor of, of key technologies in our space so from what i understand at that point you were already generating revenue even though that was early revenue you were already serving clients do you think that that had an impact on this fundraising round well definitely we had clients you know who are able to testify to 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 how how different and like what a breakthrough this technology really is for them so this helped a lot and then i mean it just you know there's a difference between somebody just saying hey i have a great tech and you know it's gonna change the world to somebody saying hey i have a great tech and by the way i have enterprise deploying it I can see that, especially today when there is a clear expectation for startups to generate revenue. But I know that this is very hard for deep tech startups. Forget about even generating revenue, building a product or MVP alone at the pre-seed stage. So very much, you know, big congratulations on that. Um, so what are some of the learnings as part of this fundraising round that you're going to be taking with you forward? I think we didn't understand the VC market well enough. I mean, it was our first round, so we're like, you know, fresh and happy. We just jumped into it. But for example, personally, I didn't know how many meetings I would need to take to nail it. I was I was like fr- frustrated after, I don't know, 10, 20 meetings, for example. And then somebody, like a seasoned entrepreneur came to me and said, dude, you're doing like, <laughs> you haven't even started. And how many, if you don't mind uh, saying, how many meetings, meetings therefore eventually it took? Actually, I don't, I, I don't think we counted it, but less than the average deep tech from what I was like looking at. Yeah, we, we were told at some point that it was 50 no's for one yes. And I got, I guess we got a few yeses and didn't have a multiple of 50 for each of them. So good ratio, yes. but still a considerable uh, time investment. If we're doing it next time, I think, I mean, Point one is just having a relationship with investors, so not coming to the meetings when you're raising you know, the first step. Actually, just have having a relationship, also knowing things about investors, what they're doing, like if they're investing at that very moment. And I mean, this is just, you know, we have other stuff to do as well. Like we, we have to run the company, <laughs> by the way. So, so the, the, this is very helpful. And understanding incentives, understanding lingo that's being used, you know, hints that are being given, this, this would have been a great help. For us back, back then. I mean, it would help, help us save time. And timing as well, just because depending on the life cycles of some funds, if you arrive late in their in their fund or very early and they're just open, about to open a new fund, I guess it has some impact that we weren't able to to properly understand at the, at the beginning of the process and how it would impact us. Yeah, so I guess we would be more strategic in it. 
And then also understanding, you know, that there are also different geographies that are sensitive to different topics. So, you know, when we were raising, it was probably way easier to raise for a SaaS than raise for a programming framework in Europe. But now we know. <laughs> but I guess, I, I guess most of this data, especially when it comes to what you mentioned, the fund cycle can be can be found on even on Crunchbase and it's it's publicly available or at least you can estimate and I think that I believe not enough founders do that extra work to be more aligned with investors because it's the hardest no I would say it comes from enthusiastic investors that cannot really invest because for example they already deployed most of their funds or for example they want to diversify their portfolio therefore making research ahead of the time might save at least few heartbreaks. Yes, we, we had to learn it <laughs> in the battlefield. <laughs> and that's the typical story anyway. But I would like to move now to your team. And my question is really, how did you manage to attract top technical talent and scale the team internationally? Yeah, so there, there were definitely a number of factors aligning. Jan, uh, who's our CTO, he was coming back from Google Brain. He was working in the US and, and wanted to come back to Europe. And that was exactly about when we started about Pathway. And then we also have Adrian, our chief product officer, who had already experienced creating a startup. Uh, he built Spudge.com with more than 1 million users. And he has this experience both in product, but also about building communities. And having Adrian and Yan was definitely instrumental because of how central they are um, somehow in the, in the tech world. And so people, we've been lucky enough that people also come to us and apply spontaneously because they want to work with people who are the forefront of their some technical and scientific topics. So that was definitely a great way. I'm super grateful to, to, to Adrian and Yan for helping out and filling the pipe of brilliant candidates. And then it was aligning as well in terms of values, in terms of fit, because we also want to check that people are aligned with what we're doing. People understand exactly what does it mean to be a startup. And especially when you have brilliant technical talents, some of them also come from academia, which can be quite a jump if you're not prepared. And therefore, just building on that, how did you manage to, you know, strike that balance between the technical skill set and the commercial mindset of the company? It's the two people that we have on the, on the top, let's say, and who attract talent to, to, to our team are very versatile and are very sensitive to the business topics. We have a product-centered culture. When we mean product, we mean the user, right? And then the user is the consumer, like the, the client of the for the data app, for, for the logistics data app. It's also the developer for the tool. Right. We have a saying that if something doesn't doesn't agree with the with the positioning or doesn't agree with the way where we want want the product to go, then it's like too bad for the code base. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. this is harsh if you think of it. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's not us who it's not even you know it didn't even came from like pure business people it was actually it happened at some point in the dev team that they came up with that phrase and and stuck with us uh so <laughs> Yeah, and, and and then I guess also we shouldn't underestimate the potential of tech talents to want to go in other directions. So what we're seeing today is people we hired for purely technical needs in, in the company that are, have an interest in drafting technical content marketing. Uh, that will be, it's, it's not exact algorithms, but anything around it, because also we are a developer tool. It's also about how you reach out to your own community sometimes, and that's how... Yeah. 
um, some more technical talent in the company uh, is still working on technical stuff, but is interested in how it's going to be useful to users like them sometimes. So we always have people that had at some point or another an interest in, in crossing the divide between pure business and yeah. tech. Tech exists, I mean, most of it, I hope, exists for some reasons, right? I mean, if you're onboarding a tech into enterprise, you want to solve a business problem. Yeah. You're probably unlikely to just be solving a tech problem for the purpose of having a tech solution. There, there must be something behind. And, and I think we also screen for it. We At least we, we screen for a sensibility to topics outside of just, you know, narrow view of their code. And so far, it seems to be working. Yeah, it's very interesting. And by keeping your customer at the center almost allows you to, to introduce these concepts and keep that commercial viewpoint close to the technical ability and implementation and vision. So that's very interesting. I come from a very technical family. Uh, you know, most of my family are either scientists <laughs> or, or engineers or or mathematicians or physicists. So it cannot be underestimated what you're trying to pull off. <laughs> so shifting the gears a little bit, obviously AI and chat GPT has been one of the hottest trends and hopefully not just trends <laughs> in the investment ecosystem um, in the past few weeks. What are, in your opinion, the most interesting developments when it comes to AI or data science that you see coming up? I think it would be anything linked to developer experience, so actually easing the life for the developer, you know, to, to make sure that AI or like data science projects can scale. Mm -hmm. You can trust Pathway with this, uh, but more, <laughs> more general, I think I'm, I'm very excited about this ability to forget. So it's like... When you learn something, and imagine you have an, a GPT chat, right, that learns something that's that's incorrect. How do you revise a decision or a belief that was forged in the past once you get a new data point? And I think this ability to correct AI's point of view or to forget something, learning to forget, will be very interesting and hopefully a hot topic very soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. So it's how to make it better, right? Now that we've seen the proof, how to make it useful. Mm -hmm. Claire, do you have any favorites? No, I, I think that what Susanna is, is, is mentioning is something we have at the core of Pathways, reactivity, and it's really those feedback loops with users. And basically, especially the discussions we're having right now is how are those models being trained on, on which data? Do they have any biases and data certainly does? How do you address that? And when you look at something, at some data points that or like some results of the models that look wrong or that potentially could be flawed, how do you how are you able to go back to where in the process did, did you take this direction? Mm, very interesting. And that's something that's key, not just in AI and in commercial applications, but overall for society as we have more generative AI and, and, and those technologies being used, being able to to go back to where the decision was taken and how is is key. Mm, fascinating. So tell me, because you've just raised your pre-seed round, what are your plans for the next six to 12 months? Yeah, so the focus right now is three products. I think I, I've talked about this a bit. So it's product positioning, making sure we're we ha we're having this like 
tactical positioning that we know how to bait the space, you know, quickly being more strategic. So this is this is what we're going to be working on right now. Yeah, so having a couple of solid private betas, uh, more than what we have right now. So developing this on like cool use cases, actually. So this yeah. is like having a couple couple of those and like different use cases, you know, to prove the value, kind of see, see it really in action. This will be able to great. This is for the core technology. And then definitely like taking, you know, a full grasp for how to organize this enterprise division for a vertical and then having being able to replicate it to other verticals as we move forward. This is like very much linked to our go-to-market, but yeah, our go-to-market is just happening. (laughs) (laughs) I know, because you've managed to do so much at the beginning, but we are really talking about (laughs) go-to-market. I know it's great. (laughs) It's been a great pleasure to meet you too. I'm very excited about your product and I will be watching you very closely. Thank you. It was lovely to meet you. We stay in touch. Do you know a female founder, a builder, or an investor with a great story to share? Get in touch at 3.0 at femalefoundry.co. Thanks for listening. 